0: What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Today, we've got an epic interview lined up with Mo, the founder of HyperCharts. Mo, what up? Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Kelly. How are you?
0: Great. Uh, So this is, I feel like, a long overdue podcast because HyperCharts, you've been following the channel, something that we put out probably, I want to say about two years ago, a little over two years ago, with this idea that how could we turn hundreds of pages of SEC filings into easy-to-read chart and financials? And this was something that Mo and I kind of jammed over doing on Tesla and Square and like manually building these charts. Um, And now HyperCharts has blossomed this amazing platform. And I thought this was such great timing to do a video on HyperCharts because of all the SPAC media we've seen, of all these stocks going up and increasing. Crazy valuation multiples with, like, to me, it seems like zero regard for fundamentals. People have totally lost sight of the fact of, like, there's a business behind every stock. What is that business doing? What are the KPIs? This is how the value of that business changes based on these key first principles metrics. Like, this is the first principles of finance. And I feel like everybody's lost that. Um, and we're big, so I'm, I, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're both big believers in the theory that. All investing is value investing. It's just about where you see and how you calculate that value. Um, and I feel like hypercharts is kind of this only breath of like sanity in the market that actually is showing people fundamentals. So um I just thought this was the perfect time to, to kind of like dive into it.
1: No, I totally agree. Yeah. And we're both long-term investors. We focus on fundamentals and we don't really go into too much technical analysis and stuff like that. So that's why we started hypercharts and uh, we focus on the fundamental uh financials and all the important metrics for that and yeah we just decide to remove the noise and ignore the noise because there's too much noise in the financial markets and financial media right you go to yahoo finance for example and there is so much information there is so many numbers but what but what, what do you really care about you know if you're a long-term investor maybe like less than five percent of all the information on the site so that's why we created hypercharts to just focus on the. Important information, remove the noise, and just give you a clear picture of how the company is doing quarter over quarter.
0: Yeah. And I love what you're saying about like filtering the noise. Cause I often say, like, why are you reading articles about the earnings or what CNBC is saying about it? Like, why don't you just read the actual yeah. earnings <laughs> like and like make your no own idea, yeah, right? Yeah, of yeah. like what, you know, kind of formulate your own opinion, which I think is so, yeah. so powerful. And and that's what I feel like a lot of people don't understand is there's like kind of this gift of the public markets where every quarter companies are required to disclose their financials. And I know this is yeah. like repeat to a lot of people, but to me, this is like incredible. Like there's so much information and it's almost like, uh, like Warren Buffett used to have to mail in to get his SEC filings of a company and then read them. And so to, for us to be in this moment where like we compile yeah. all that data instantly, hypercharts premium, blasts me an email with Tesla earnings the second they come out with the visualization. So I don't even have to look at the SEC filing. Like it's just such a gift uh, for the fundamental analysis and sort of like kind of a glory for value and fundamentals-based investing. We're kind of in like a glory era for that, even though it doesn't feel like it, but because the information is yeah. so readily available.
1: No, I totally agree. Yeah. It's just the issue of too much information and too much noise. And so the, you know, what you have to do as an investor, investor changes from trying to get the information to trying to filter the information. That's what changed recently, right?
0: And now let's walk through one of the pages, obviously Tesla, like are, you know, that's my maybe probably one of your biggest yeah. investments too. Like, so that's the yeah. page we spent the most time on and, and was the genesis of, of hyper charts. And was also like, so many people are misunderstanding the company and not looking at the growth and not kind of understanding the trajectory. And there's so much value in seeing this over time. Like even just from this, the charts I'm looking at now, like vehicles delivered over time, like this didn't exist anywhere. And the amount of insight I can draw about Tesla's business of like, you know, is not like in 2018 or 2019, like, isn't Tesla? Tesla failing, like, isn't all this going wrong? And you could have just looked at this chart of, like, every single yeah. year, it's, like, skyrocketing to new record-high deliveries. Like, it's just kind of, like, this first principles approach of, like, actually, I think Tesla's doing pretty good. Like, every quarter, they keep uh, they keep growing and stuff like that. And so... Exactly, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly why I, I created, like, in the beginning, we created hypercharts because, like, it's you read all this information and news and stuff, and it doesn't really give you a picture of how the company has been doing over the last four years or five years, you know? So you go to the website, you see the charts, like one, one single chart gives you so much information, like especially the, the main chart, the revenue and operating income chart that just looks at, you look at that and you get so much information just from that one picture.
0: Yeah. So, and, yeah. and let's break this down because I love the way the flow of the revenue and operating income chart work because um, it's like, okay, you start with every business. How much are we going to sell? What is our top line? And then you have, you know, a little bit of accounting rerun here, but then you have like the gross profit, you know, what's the profit after the cost of just that? Good, and then the operating income, and this is something we thought a lot about. Was it like, do we use net income versus operating income? I I was always pushing for operating income because to me that's like the most true intrinsic earnings power of the company, not filtered by taxes or that interest payment. Like, exactly, I want to know yeah. the core earnings power in that moment. That's that's most true t- uh, to the company, and so that's why we see it. And you can see, like, even in this Tesla one, you see how it like goes ten billion flows on the top line after all the costs for those cars they built. They got two point one billion, and then after Paying for you know expenses and offices, we had six hundred million, and that was profit. And just instantly, you see that flow. Um, and I think it was, I don't know, I am just such a big fan of that, and and the way the uh, the cash flow thing works as well to show the capex as a negative, um, which I know took some finessing to do. Um, but I'm also curious if if maybe you could break us down on a lot of the companies go beyond this like main chart of revenue and operating income, like that's like the backbone of every gap financial statement. But then we also have these sort of like KPIs. That we yeah, add. Exactly. So for like Square, it's cash at monthly users, Tesla, it's vehicles delivered. So they're kind of unique things that the company is disclosing to us that we've decided to chart. And I feel like that was a big thing of hypercharts too, was marrying this world of like the financial data, but also these key performance indicators, which kind of are tied into that and disclosed quarterly.
1: Exactly. Yeah, actually, that's one of the biggest reasons why I started this, uh, because and before this was hypercharts. like it used to be just a spreadsheet with Tesla financials when I created it. We like uh, maybe six months before we actually incorporated the company and stuff. And uh, the reason I created the spreadsheet was uh, I just wanted to see Tesla's vehicle deliveries quarter over quarter you know, for the last five years and uh, with their revenue and operating income. And that was not available anywhere, like nowhere. I looked so much, so everywhere, right? So I couldn't find it. So I just made a quick spreadsheet, put all the information and created some charts in it. And just mostly for me in the beginning, but then later I started sharing it with some forums and stuff. And then I shared it with you and then we went from there. But yeah, that's exactly the reason we, I started this because, you know, seeing the vehicle deliver deliveries with, with the financials in the same flow and the, like gives you a a better picture of how how the company is doing, or in case of uh, Square, seeing you know the GMV and the cash app users with the financials also gives you some like correlations that you might not be able to see otherwise, you know. And most most financial uh, you know media just gives you focuses on the financials. So like if you go to Yahoo Finance, you 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 won't see any like specific business metrics, right? You'll have to go to Tesla specific websites or you know forums or something to see those that information. So yeah. putting the two together is one of our biggest selling points.
0: And, and the other thing is the integrity of the data. Like we spent so much time early on, like manually scraping this data and putting it in there and like. That because you you look at these services like CapIQ and stuff, and they're like you can pay a ton of money for access to the SEC data and then we go into the cash flow data for Q3 and why is it the nine month number. Oh, because the SEC filing only displays a nine month number and their code just pulls that and it's all their cash flow data is wrong for every company and you're like and I'm like we're like no like this has to be right that's the whole point like these are the facts, so I know hypercharts like we started with two companies, which is. Or I th- guess it was Tesla and then Square. And then when we launched, there was like five, right? Like when Apple, we launched, it was five. Apple, yeah. Amazon. Exactly. And now there's over 200, which is incredible. Like you've crushed it. Um, and now there's so many companies, but I also think it's important that like we only added companies that we thought were relevant, that we thought were super like hyper change in the category. And it's so much burden. Like I'd rather have 200 companies with every number accurate that you can trust versus every single company. But like at least there's a couple numbers wrong with everything and it's not perfect. So I kind of love that. And even like, can you talk a little bit about the philosophy of that even more with like through the lens of like model Y, like this is something that we added to the chart, which actually Tesla does not disclose, but there's Twitter people that are like really good about it. So you actually started integrating that data into the, the hyper charts chart.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that just goes back to like giving you a good picture of how the company is doing. We, you know, the fact that Tesla doesn't break down model S X or, you know, three and Y that's might not be giving you like all the information you need as an investor so like when the model way just comes out and you want to see how the company's selling that quarter over quarter it's important to actually see how that individual model is doing so that's why we decided to do that and yeah that does take a little bit more work and research and stuff but i think it's worth it so in some cases we do we do things that are manual and that don't scale but because it has value to the investor so we do it and it's actually like all the data on all the financial data on hypercharts are still manually imported from sec filings and press releases it's not automated because yeah like you said there is i've researched so many providers and there is no provider that has that is both fast and accurate that, that's hmm. the issue you want fast and yeah. accurate so for us we like we import the data manually and publish it within 10 minutes from the earnings release coming out right all the all the automated platforms or providers they don't have that like you'll have to wait a couple of days until the sec like uh report is out and published on the sec side so that you can actually import it and parse it automatically through your algorithms or whatever right huh. so yeah so if you want to be accurate and fast you have to do it manually basically so that's that's one of the reasons that we only focus on a sm- relatively small number of companies you know like we only have 200 out of you know the five thousand companies on the u.s stock market but it's, we, we try to focus on the companies that are relevant to growth investors and long-term investors. And, uh, yeah, we, we keep adding new companies based on requests and.
0: And it's amazing how the, like a chart it's almost like a chart they say a picture is worth a thousand words it's almost like a chart is worth a thousand numbers like before hypercharts existed like you were saying it was a manual process like for my videos it was like okay I want to break down energy revenue with automotive revenue for Tesla like I got to go I got to pull those numbers I (laughs) got to create every single one of those charts because just for just for the like ideas so my brain could see it as a picture because I think I'm a visual learner and I think so many people are like who wants to see? Like, bl- like have you yeah. seen the sec filing it's like like it gives you like stress just looking at it because it looks like a legal document like it's not <laughs> it's know, not fun yeah. but hypercharts yeah. is so fun and I love the clickable like removing thing like that's just Removered like one segments, of my, yeah it's just like so like such a good feedback like I'm I'll show people now with like but I Um, yeah, so for me, that's, it's kind of unlocking this like amazingly beautiful thing. And I almost wish it was more ubiquitous. Like I know hypercharts is the API to let people sort of integrate this data, but, um, I wish it was more ubiquitous and I'm kind of like, I don't have a good answer for why people don't care about fundamentals or it seems like less and less they do. Um, but I don't know what, what's kind of your take on that. Like, how do we educate people from this sort of SPAC? Like, I just want to buy something to get money because it's a meme stock versus like, there's a business let's do fundamental analysis. Like, why are we so disconnected from that?
1: Yeah that's a tough one. Uh I'm not sure. It's I think uh like over the last 5 years a lot of uh, new investing apps and platforms like Robinhood made it so easy for people to invest that the barrier to entry is so low now that pretty much anyone can do it, right? So when you bring so many new people to it, a lot of them are not experienced or you know don't really know what investing is, right? So they think that you're just Supposed to buy something, and if people hype it up, and you make, make make money. That's what investing is, right? So it's just so many people are so new to it that, like, they haven't really learned what long term investing is or how to do, you know, fundamental research, how to do that, or, you know. So it's just about educating them and, uh, like, through your channel, for example, and uh, just trying to explain the process of how you, you know, assess companies and how you research your investments and. But yeah, I don't have a good answer for why like so many people do don't focus on fundamentals that that is the question.
0: Yeah. And it's almost like. I think it, we're in a little bit of a bubble and I think it's already yeah. kind of coming down and that'll self-correct. And it's beautiful to see these new traders have to like get their battle scars. That's what I think. It's like, dude, the reason why I'm like paranoid about outstanding share count, which is one of my favorite charts on hypercharts is because I've been burned by so many small companies promising <laughs> yeah. growth, promising this. Yeah. And all you had to do was look at the amount of shares they had every quarter and they were printing an insane amount. Like that's one of my favorite charts on hypercharts, outstanding share count over time. That's really hard data to get. That's so intuitive. Yeah. That Two seconds, you can get your pulse on the like sort of fiscal responsibility of a management team instantly, and like Tesla's share count, it's like yeah, it's actually going up quite a bit. It's probably like doubled or tripled since their IPO, but revenue's up like three hundred x. So that's like yeah. very fair dilution. But then you see other companies where it's like you're growing at twenty percent, but your share count's going at thirty percent. Like we're, we're we're like losing, we're like drowning here. Slowly, yeah. Or you're
1: growing your price, but then uh, your share count is going down, and you're buying back your shares. And like that chart tells you exactly how much. The company is buying back. Like even oh, like the slope. Apple. Of the, yeah, that like Apple. And the slope of the chart tells you a lot. Like if it's just a little down or a lot down, right? So. Yeah, that that chart gives you a lot of information.
0: Right? Like if if you were to like say, okay, Apple share counts decreasing, it went from 4.4 billion to 4.2 billion. That's a, you know, what is it? 10%, 5% number. And then, okay, that's is that better than the 7% number last time? But then if you look at the slope of that line, like you're saying, all of that data is instantly understood by your brain. So it's almost such an incredible like, um, like it's, okay, this is kind of a whack analogy, but it's like, okay, we have the smartphone, which is like the data straw, right? You have to like go get your SEC filing, you have to pull every number manually. It's like the most tedious, slow process and hypercharts, Neuralink in it. Like obviously <laughs> we're biased, but it's like, bam, like yeah. all the data is right there and I understood it instantly. Like the data flow is incredible. Uh,
1: being, seeing it, the charts without like even not, not looking at the actual numbers and just seeing the charts and like the growth of the bars, you know, from quarter to quarter tells you so much even ignoring all the actual numbers you
0: know yeah and it's funny because yeah. i feel like we're such nerds that we love this so much and i know like sometimes i look <laughs> on the back end of hypercharts i'm pretty still sure you and me are still like the number one users in terms of like charts yeah. looked at like oh yeah by far yeah. uh which is like makes me so happy because we built like it for ourselves and and we are like obsessive power users like i pay premium for hypercharts premium and i'm like it, i love it as a customer <laughs> because. This is just what I always wish existed. Um, And I think it's so, like, what I kind of wanted to hone in on this episode, I got distracted, was my process of, like, the first time I hear about a stock, I'm instantly going to hypercharts. Nothing else matters. And I think whether you're hypercharts or not, you should, the first thing you do when you hear about a company is not even look at the the share price go to the financials think about the company think about the growth think about the intrinsic earnings and cash flow and put you put a number on it say airbnb i want to buy i think this is worth 90 billion i'm buying it under 90 billion then check the stock price and see yeah. what what the valuation is and then make your decision like people are going backwards from that so um i don't know what's th- throughout a, actually I'll, this is a good time to drop one of my favorite companies airbnb so i think airbnb yeah. is I, it's the first stock i probably bought in a year And I just bought a little bit I sold my Spotify out of my uh, and you can even go to the compare mode to see like Spotify uh, gross profit grows for square square was crushing it so I was like "Eh, I kind of want to buy square I'm thinking of selling Spotify, then I got on the Airbnb earnings call, and I heard how pumped they were about. the the return of travel, and then I'm like, oh my God, they're on hypercharts. I got to check this out. So what am I learning on hypercharts is if you go back to Q3 2018, first of all, it's a super cyclical business, right? Like travel cyclical, you can see it in the summer months it peaks in Q2 and Q3, really easy to spot that trend. But you see Airbnb is radically profitable. They are pumping out huge margins on these quarters. Q3 2018, 1.3 billion in revenue. They do 321 million and they're still growing like crazy. So this is a business that's showing 20 to 30% conversion from revenue to earnings even in crazy growth mode three years ago. And guess what happens in the pandemic? They fire everybody. They have this crazy like crunch moment of streamlining corporate culture and strategy. So that's going to make their intrinsic core long-term margins go up in my opinion. That's a good thing because they got leaner. So now you have this combination of, I look back at hypercharts and I'm like, this is a savagely profitable business when things return to normal, but they're going to return to double normal. And you look at the price revenue multiple, you're like, okay, 24.8X. And this is another thing I wanted to highlight about. I love this new innovation of the top bar where it's like these key stats. um, Key metrics, yeah. Key metrics, yeah. And the 24.8 revenue multiple looks insane. But first of all, you're like, this is a, savagely profitable company, so it should trade at a really high revenue multiple. And you look at that 24.8x, and it's including this 334 million Q2, which was in the middle of Rona, which was like their worst quarter ever. So now we're going to have one crazy comp after the next, and that trailing revenue multiple is going to contract instantly because this business is at like a 6 billion revenue, 7 billion real revenue run rate, even though the TTM is 3.4. So it's even like I'm kind of getting ahead of the curve of seeing how the hypercharts is going to unfold and being like, oh my God, this is about to look like the most profitable, dopest growing company ever. And the last thing I wanted to mention about this Airbnb page what I th- thought was super interesting was like, okay, how fast were they growing pre-pandemic? I thought it would be really interesting to see to kind of, because I don't know, Airbnb, like we didn't know their growth. They were private. We didn't have access to their financials. You assume it's fast growing. And I thought it was kind of interesting that their revenue growth was like 30, 31%, super consistently pre-Rona, which is a little bit slower than I thought. But, I don't know. I thought that was a really interesting thing. So I when when it gets back to normalization, I expect Airbnb to return to like around that twenty five to thirty percent growth unless experiences really take off. Um, and that was just one layer more of insight. So within like five minutes of looking at this page, it saved me hours of going through all their SEC filings. I can click overview. I can go right to the investor page, get that looking at that shareholder letter for more depth. Um, so it was just so cool. But I'm getting a little sidetracked. I'm curious, oh yeah.
1: By the way, one thing related to Airbnb is we had their financials on the site even before they IPO because, uh, because you know, the fact we, that we do this process manually allows us to actually enter all the data before the company goes public. So that's another advantage of the way we do it. So the popular companies that, you know, send uh, register with the ICC with their, their S1 filing, we can actually go through that filing and uh, extract all the information and put it on the site. So it, the investors can actually see this information and decide if they want to go on IPO day or not, you
0: know? So, And like Coinbase, I think WeWork, yeah. uh, you've been doing this, for maybe even Palantir, like all the dope new IPOs. Lots, Lots uh, of companies, yeah. Which has been so... F- I, that's actually one of my favorite features, because that's always what you do when you get the S1, is run to check out what's up with it. So for them to be on hypercharts exactly. is like... um, And so tell us about this top bar, because this seems like a very simple innovation, but I'm sure you thought a ton about it. and. It's as just a user of hypercharts, like it popped up and I've been loving it. It just sums up even more. It's like a hypercharts of hypercharts almost.
1: Like <laughs> Yeah, like it's a super condensed uh, financial information for the company. Like four three numbers give you so much information. Training 12-month revenue, uh, revenue multiple or the PS ratio, and revenue growth year over year for the most recent quarter. So the revenue makes sense because it's the revenue and you want to see how much uh, revenue they made over the last year. But uh, the reason I focus on the revenue multiple, you know, revenue multiple is one of the main charts on the financial charts page. We also have the price to earnings uh, ratios and other, other uh, ratios on the compare page, but it's not part of the main financials because like I'm, I'm a really huge fan of revenue multiple or PS ratio because the way I see it, revenue is, is how much value the company is contributing to the world. And then your valuation is how much the world is valuing you, right? So that ratio applies to all companies it's if you want to look at like price to earnings ratio, for example, it's. That doesn't apply to all companies in all stages it's like a selective metric right like if our company is just getting started and. Uh, you know they have a negative negative earnings, then you can't really look at price to earnings ratio right and you, then you have to decide when when does it become. A, a good metric to look at you know While price to revenue makes sense in all stages it's a universal metric. And you can compare it between companies, between categories, between between segments, you know. So that's why we we focus on that metric. And uh, you know, and from there we also show the growth because uh, you want to see, uh, you know, your year, year over year growth for the most recent quarter, and that's that's an important metric as well. So, those those are the three top ones.
0: Yeah, because you the, your your brain's like, okay, I'm going to look at the revenue multiple and see if the growth is starting to justify that crazy multiple, kind of. Exactly. Um, exactly. Dude, and I what you said there in the beginning about revenue being the value you contribute to the world, like that's such a genius way of summing it all up. It's like, it doesn't matter how much profit you're making on the back end of that. That's your thing to figure out, exactly. right? That, it's that's like, an
1: internal metric. Yeah, exactly. That's an internal metric between you and your employers and your investors. You know, the, the world doesn't really care if you're profitable or not.
0: It's like, how much did people pay for your thing? Yeah, That's how much value you're creating. And that's, and, and it's, um. Yeah, man, I think that's so, so useful. And it's been, like, so easy. What I love most is when clicking through different companies to see Amazon, you know, they're going at 44% last quarter, only 3.9 times, like, and then instead of saying, like, uh, you know, Apple 6.5 times, but 53% growth. And instead of saying, like, off the bat, that's really cheap, or that looks really expensive, like, I love one of my finance professors said, don't buy, ask why. It's almost like, no, this isn't cheaper, expensive. There's a layer of insight here. Why is Amazon, you know, is, is the growth just spiked up? Because of COVID, is their margins long-term not going to be that good? The market is telling you so much by the valuation. Yeah. Um, and that's what I kind of love about HyperCharts is HyperCharts, to me, helps you kind of solve that mystery with every company of why does the market think this is worth so much for dollar and revenue? Why does the market think this is worth so little for dollar and revenue? And not that it's right or wrong, but it's almost like, you um, I don't know. I I kind of love it. Do you have any thoughts on that kind of mentality of just not saying the market's wrong, but kind of understanding from the market?
1: I think it's because there's too much noise. Like when it goes down to it, it's, there is too much noise. So a lot of investors don't focus on the right, right information or the right metric and they get distracted by other, you know, by other metrics or by stories that got spun up by financial media, you know? So it's, I think it's really related to that, you know? Like, if you, if you, for, for Tesla, for example, the, the mainstream coverage of Tesla is just poor quality. Like, that's the best way I can say it. So, like, <laughs> th- yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you don't really get much knowledge from just covering, reading about Tesla on CNBC or, you know, all those other mainstream financial websites, right? So, that makes people not focus on the right metrics, you know?
0: So, And like the safety data for Tesla too, that's like a page that we added, that's a KPI that Tesla started doing, which even Elon actually had a tweet, like correcting one of our things a long time ago. Do you remember that? That was pretty epic. Uh, But I love, to me, this is one of the most fascinating things that are they going to add FSD data? To the safety report and then we're going to throw that in the chart and like this will be the compiling evidence of data that we're the only ones in the world who i think have visualized that will be convincing regulators that the ai should drive cars not humans and so like we're on yeah, the well, forefront of visualizing that which i think is like
1: when do you think tesla will add the fsd beta safety numbers
0: um i actually think they should well i want to say you're closer to the data than me so maybe you have a better answer but i think any quarter now Maybe yeah, maybe it's sure. too it's, small now. They want to wait till the yeah, V nine. Right? Exactly. It's
1: yeah. It's not. Uh, it's not generally available. Like it's just a you know a few thousand users. So I don't think it makes sense to add it right now. But uh, I wonder if my the biggest question is whether they're going to add it under its own category or as part of the existing autopilot category. That's that's going to be an interesting decision they do.
0: Do you have any thoughts on the Tesla FSD beta, or when that will happen, and and kind of how that will affect the financials? Or if they said even disclose oh. software revenue as a new revenue line there with auto and energy mm-hmm. revenue, because that, that would be epic for hypercharts. but.
1: That would be amazing, but, uh, I'm not sure. I think Elon is super focused on long-term and he doesn't care about super granular data. So I'm not sure if they'll break it out into its own, uh, segment, but, uh, at some point, like if they. You know, In five years, if they have their FSD fully out and like they actually have autonomous taxis, fully autonomous, running around, and they're making so much money from it, at some point, they would have to break that out, I assume, but uh, I don't think that'll happen anytime soon. Gotcha. And- but I mean, yeah, the, the effect on their financials is going to be huge. I mean, it's probably at some point, it's going to be half of their revenue, just revenue from FSD and autonomous taxis, right? So.
0: And I'm looking at Tesla now with a 16.6X revenue multiple, and I'm like, this looks like a high-growth software company. Like, it's like, you know, they're already valuing it. The market's already telling you that that software revenue is there in a lot of ways. And, and, yeah, a
1: lot of people complain about, you know, like, it was 20X, uh, you know, like, a couple of months back. But people don't realize that, you know, in a year, this year, Tesla's going to double the revenue from last year, right? So, that multiple is going to get cut in half. And it's been going down. Like, it will be 10X in a couple of quarters, you know?
0: So, And this is also why I'm like not rattled that Tesla's pulling back or like freaking out. Like, you know, I think this is people are losing track of the fundamentals and they always like, I get a lot of backlash when I say Tesla's overvalued, but like, I do think a lot of companies are overvalued. Like I haven't been buying Tesla hand over fist because it is, you know, car companies are valued at 0.5 times sales and we are at 30X to 40X premium above that. And there's a lot of reasons why Tesla should be, but to me, it's like. I think the fair number right now is 10 to 12 for Tesla. Like, and yeah, that's exactly, already yeah. like pricing and a lot of growth being hyped on them. So I don't know. I think it's, I I don't know why that's a hot take, but.
1: But uh, there's so many other companies that are valued at even higher multiples, right? Yeah. So
0: that's why it's valuable to like
1: compare those uh, on the
0: compare page. You can
1: compare those multiples between companies and compare the multiples over time too to see how they're changing. So,
0: and, and it's also nice of like, I don't know. I feel like an old person being like in my day, but like in my day, there was a SaaS company at nine times sales, and you're like, "Oh my god, that's absurd, dude!" Yeah. Like, yeah. and now <laughs> it's like every company is at fifteen or yeah. th- and, you know, SaaS or eighty times sales. So it's like, yeah, Zoom is like I don't know, fifty uh, x or something. Yeah, I checked recently, but yeah. And that's another layer of insight that just from clicking the page a page on Hypercharts, looking at that top number, I'm instantly gathering this pulse of the the entire market ways valuing every SaaS company. Oh, Okta is this, Zoom is that, and so it's yeah. like amazing. Uh, and so. On that kind of note, I'm curious, Hypercharts expanded to 220 companies, we added Bitcoin, you added ETH with all the ETH KPIs getting into crypto, Um, you know, what what's kind of next for for hypercharts and and actually I do want to give a big shout out to all the hypercharts premium customers cuz for 10 bucks a month yeah. you get premium I think it's like an amazing deal and it's it's like the grassroots thing of like you're supporting hypercharts to keep investing in more stuff and I love the track record of hypercharts like expanding all these epic features like it's been so cool to watch so I wanted to give you an awesome shout out for that mo and to shout out to the customers cuz it's like we kind of built it together with them by them. supporting oh, yeah, Exactly. Yeah, so, I have
1: a huge appreciation for our customers and just supporting us from the beginning and, you know, suggesting features and requesting companies that I, I'd like that to continue, you know? So if anyone hearing this and, you know, they want to like see a company covered on hypercharts that is not right now, just suggest it on the website. And uh, we regularly add new companies based on how, how popular they are and how, how many people request it. So.
0: Yeah, that For was sure. really cool. It was like a crowdsource, like the most people want this company, we'll add it. And that yeah. was a cool way to kind of. Yeah, the reason
1: we did that is because the process is manual. So we, we can't just add any company, anywhere request, right? Like if there's just a company that only one person is interested in, you know, it might be tough because there are resources that we have to put into updating the, the financials the first time and then updating it on a regular basis. So doing it by, popular, by popularity makes us, helps us, you know, spend those resources efficiently basically, right? So,
0: yeah. And I know there, is there any new features that you want to talk about or on the road? So,
1: so we recently, like just last week, we, uh, or like two weeks ago, we added uh, the top 100 cryptocurrencies. So that's a good one, yeah, that's been requested a lot. So there is now a a new all crypto page. You can go and see just price and uh, market cap data for the top 100. And the homepage shows you the cryptocurrencies and companies and regular companies mixed in in the same table. So you can actually like compare Uniswap to, you know, like whatever other companies, you know, or so that, that, that also gives you some information that you don't really see anywhere else. So like, if you go to the homepage and just scroll down through the companies like there are cryptocurrencies in there, it's all sorted based on market cap and you can actually compare companies to cryptocurrencies. Wow. Which is kind of interesting, yeah.
0: Dude, I'm I i love. I, like, I didn't even realize this, but I'm checking out it now and I, it looks so, so cool. And I love how the world of stocks and crypto merging, that's why HyperCharts is so dope. It's like, this is finance. Screw the rules that these are different assets. Like, these are merging. They're kind yeah. of competing. You know, Bitcoin's going to eat the banks. Um, and on that note, I, you're a coder. So what's your quick take on Bitcoin, ETH? Are you long both of those? You got any Doge? Like, you know?
1: We're going to open a can of worms. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've been, yeah, I've been following crypto for like a few years, and uh, I'm, I'm bullish on Bitcoin. I've been bullish from you know for a few years back now, but I've recently been digging more and more into Ethereum and learning more about it and learning more about the scaling solutions because that, that's Ethereum's biggest problem: scaling. Right? There is so much demand for the network that it, like it, a lot of people can't use it. Like the fees are too high, you know. And like Ethereum gets a lot of criticism, criticism fairly that the fees are too high, which is true, but so many people see it as such a negative thing, but it's actually positive. That means the network is so good at what it does that there are so many people that want to use it. And that's why the fees are high. If there were no people that want to use it, the fees would be super low, like Cardano, you know?
0: Oh. (laughs) No, I'm actually, I agree with you on that too. It's like, yeah. yeah.
1: But yeah, like uh, the the more I dig into it, the more I'm becoming a believer in Ethereum in the long term. And I think Ethereum will take over and, Wow, become the most valuable cryptocurrency within maybe five years.
0: And you've been tracking the less. market cap. What's that chart you keep tweeting about the market cap of like ETH uh, versus Bitcoin? There's some stat there that people are tracking, like ETH's... Oh, just the is- relative
1: the relative market caps. Yeah, like, so ETH recently reached 50% of uh, Bitcoin's market cap, you know, and that's, uh, you know, that's a lot of, uh, you know, ETH fans track that not to see when ETH is going to take over and flip Bitcoin as the most valuable market, you know, cryptocurrency. So, and that will be a big moment for Ethereum and cryptocurrencies in general, you know, when that happens, I I believe it will happen because Bitcoin is just, yeah, Bitcoin is digital gold, right? It does one thing and it does it really, really well. And there is value in that. But, you know, eventually it will be maybe $10 trillion market cap or maybe 20, maybe 50. But for Ethereum, the total addressable market is so much higher, you know? Having smart contract uh, contracts native on the on the blockchain is just you can do so much with it. It's it's like 10 times the addressable market, you know. Like yeah. I, I could totally see a world, you know, in 10 years where Bitcoin is, you know, 50 tr- 20 trillion or 50 and you know, Ethereum is 10 times that, you know? So
0: mind blown. And it's like I, I once heard that Ethereum was kind of the limit of Ethereum was like it was a bet on like human creativity. Like what, how creative can we be with this technology? It's like unlimited, you know? And I love ideas like that, where it's just like so Yeah, and it's not
1: just finance, you know? Like uh, people talk about the store of value and all of that for Bitcoin, but sure. uh, But, you know, once you have smart contracts, contracts, like that opens a whole new world, you know? Like there is so much value in smart contracts. Like, you know, DAOs. DAOs will be a huge thing for humanity, right? And Bitcoin can't do any of that, right? You, You need smart contracts for that. So you're going to have organizations and companies structured as DAOs, and uh, there there already is, right? So th- that that's a big part of it. It's not just finance, right? Like, people talk about DeFi being a huge thing on Ethereum, which it is, but eventually, I think it'll just be a small part of Ethereum. It'll, it won't be the biggest thing.
0: Yeah, and, like, what Gary is doing and what artists like Grimes are doing yeah, with the NFTs, NFT world. Yeah, yeah, like, like sure. a,
1: NFTs, right now, it's just for art and stuff and collectibles and things like that, but eventually, it'll, it'll expand to, like, cover real world assets, you know, you're going to have real estate as NFTs and like other things as NFTs. So, and you can't do any of that on, on the native Bitcoin, the layer one Bitcoin, like th- there are attempts to do that as on layer two for Bitcoin, but I don't know. I think, uh, I think it has to be the layer one has, has to have native smart contract support. That, that's my theory. Hmm. And that's why I think Ethereum will, you know, capture a lot of the, that value. You know, eventually, it won't just be one blockchain that's winning, right? There'll be like three to five, just like tech companies right now. Yeah, and they'll be specialized in doing different things. But I think Ethereum has the best opportunity to do the most.
0: And what's your opinion on Doge?
1: Uh, I don't really have a strong opinion on it. It's a meme. It's funny. It's, but uh, yeah,
0: I is it a? Because I now- have, I have a. You keep on.
1: Uh, but yeah, but I was going to say that was the case. But now that Elon is getting involved in it, that changes things or might change things because depending on how much effort he puts into it and really tries to push it, like it could go a little bit more mainstream and become like an actual medium of exchange, you know, like people would start paying with it. So that that could happen. It could be, you know, a successful blockchain that people use to actually pay for stuff.
0: And I love the your open-mindedness there because I think that's... Uh, I think this whole doge debate, yes, it's a meme and it's a joke, but A, that's an amazing part of its brand value. But there's a lot of first principles reasons why Elon likes it. Like um, just the brand values one, but I'm uh, the fact that nobody's contributed code. So maybe it's kind of an abandoned project waiting for someone to pick it up, easier to push a new change from a governance perspective than something like Bitcoin or ETH to optimize it for a use case that he would want, which is that whole ARK Invest idea. I know you're huge on ARK Invest that energy assets of today are Bitcoin miners of tomorrow. This proof of work system as the unique energy buyer. And Doge, I believe was a spinoff of litecoin so it's like some sort of proof of work that would be easier to do on a smaller scale so you think about putting that to the power wall to decentralize energy and like letting people use their excess energy to mine stuff so i don't know where you're going on that theory but i think there's a lot of like real game-changing potential there right
1: yeah as far as the energy is i think that is a factor that will be a factor in the in the near term but i think long term like 10 years plus i think proof of work that's just me like this is not just my opinion right now but I don't think proof of work will last too long I think yeah other consensus mechanisms will overtake it like proof of stake and other other consensus mechanisms because even if it's all renewable energy even if that was the case you're still spending all that energy to 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 secure the network right but if you if there was an opportunity to secure the network, With, you know, the same security, but with much 10th or even 1% of the energy, why would you not do it? We're still open on that, but I think that is a factor.
0: Yeah, and the question is, can that be done? Because it's like, well, if there's one-tenth as much energy and we're all staking ETH, then it's like, well, isn't this moving to a more centralized system where all major players are controlling these pools, which is kind of the opposite of crypto? Uh, There's like a lot of weird theories, or is that not going to
1: In my opinion, I don't think that is the case, that a lot of people say proof of stake is more centralized. I don't think that's the case. Okay. I I don't think one of them is more centralized than the other. I think how the the game theory plays out matters, you know? So in case of Bitcoin, like there's already mining pools that are, you know, covered like 70% of the hashing rate, right? Big mining pools. So it's already kind of centralized, you know what I mean? So yes in proof of stake you can have uh, you know like staking pools that are also covering 50% of the of the hashing rate but i don't think that matters and i think uh, the way ethereum is doing it uh like they're really focusing on allowing anyone to run a node and do proof of stake from a laptop right this is one of the biggest thing that people don't pay attention to, to on ethereum like the ease of running a node is a big big thing in ethereum and for Ethereum developers, right? So they're really focused on that and they wanna make sure that anyone can run a node because that really helps decentralization. So that's one of the factors that why I'm really bullish on Ethereum because they're really focused on just decentralizing. And I think decentralization is is the most important metric for a blockchain, you know? So we'll see how it plays out, but uh, I think Ethereum will end up being more decentralized.
0: Wow. dude, I. I'm so happy we got on this crypto <laughs> TNG. Honestly. Yeah. I love yeah, your, it, it. It's, your it's the kind of weird.
1: Like, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's it's very nuanced. That's the thing. It's like a lot of people just say, okay, proof of work is this or proof of stake is this, but you can't generalize. Like you have to look at the specifics of how it's implemented, how the nodes are implemented. Like you can make a proof-of-stake system that is completely centralized. You can make a proof of work system that is also completely centralized. You know what I mean? So it's just about the specifics of how it's implemented and how it plays out and how the community, what values the community, you know, like really care about. So th- that's my theory.
0: And, and it's so amazing that this is why I'm so bullish on crypto is the pace of innovation of all these technologies, whether it's Bitcoin or ETH or Doge. It's like we're talking about yeah. huge movements, the world moving into it. It's only a one or two trillion dollar asset class competing with a $300 million fiat or trillion dollar fiat where no innovation is happening. So it's like that Elon exactly. Musk principle of pace of innovation. Like, I don't know which crypto it is, but I know all the smartest people I know are building new stuff in crypto. None are building new dollars or whatever, exactly. you know? Yeah, so it's exactly. like, that's what gets me so hyped about this is I feel like we kind of have crossed the chasm and it's just inevitably in people's mind, like they don't even take for granted that crypto is real money, that it's a thing, that it's here to stay, but they, it, we all know it is. And so now it's a question of, like, we kind of went zero to one, let's go to this next. And all these, these are all good problems to have. Let's, the energy usage of Bitcoin's too high, because it was this weird experiment that now moves billions of dollars and is worth a trillion. Like, Ethereum is now has 2 million people wanting to transact, or 2 million transactions a day, almost, and that's why the network got clogged. Like, these are great problems to have that we're focused exactly. on to build the truly game-changing potential of the kind of technology.
1: I, yeah, totally agree. And, like, the Ethereum developers are really working hard on this, and, uh... There are so many scaling solutions and layer twos. Layer twos will be a big part of it. So not all, not all economic activity will happen on on layer one, because you know the, the blockchain world is just too big. Like blockchains will do so much that you can't do it all on layer one, right? So even Bitcoin has the Lightning, and you know there's DeFi chain and other layer two solutions that focus on different things. So you know a lot of activity will happen on layer two. So that's also something to follow and something to pay attention
0: to. Yeah. Dude, thank you. Uh, I'm gonna let you go now, but thank you so much for the time. Yeah, bro. this was this fun. Was a, this was a lot of fun. We'll have to ha- uh, have you back and do it again. And everyone yeah. should definitely check out Hypercharts, Hypercharts Premium, if you want to support, and Mo on Twitter to follow all the cool stuff he's up to. I'll make sure to put a link to your Twitter. Below. Yeah, and if you have any, if
1: anyone listening to this have any feedback for Hypercharts features or like different charts or metrics that uh, they think should be covered, please let us know. If you have any companies you want you want covered, please go and. Uh, submit it to the website and
0: yeah hell yeah it's and as a hyper charts fan dude i gotta say thank you mo because i love Hypercharts and i use it and it's my favorite website so i'm like <laughs> as you, a yeah. nerdy investor fan like we have the pokedex for like companies i'm in the wild Spotify. yeah how many users do we have how fast are they growing i'm on yeah, my phone. Yeah. like i love it that yeah, it exists yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. thank you bro all right well peace out no everybody thank have you for a great day me. peace